welcome to the Talking Horses podcast in association with Rudy Racing by the people for the people, the weekly podcast that looks behind the curtain of the sport with a view to increasing understanding, accessibility and of course enjoyment of the lovely sport of racing for all. Ben and Bruins back with you again. Uh, it's been an unconventional week in the context of the last two and a half years. I've been out at awards, dinners and whatever with my day job and Bruins you've had a Apparently a bit of a flashback to uh, COVID lockdown and trying to do your job and manage family yes. life all at the same time, you were saying. Yes, everyone's everyone's ill, basically. And I think I started it because I went to Sandown last week and prolonged a cough that was on the back foot. And now it's very much got the upper hand again. <laughs> um, on the, back on the bridle. Uh, the bridle. There we are. There we are. It's it was, was it worth it, though? hundred percent was it worth it, yeah. What a day. Good what a fun, day. And the it? best and the best result for me was on the TV. <laughs> well quite, yeah. That is one of the features of because that's such a busy day of racing, isn't it? So you're in the hall in the main stand at Sandown watching yeah. as many races as you're watching out on the track. It's actually it's brilliantly set up for that more than mm. possibly any other track where you can yeah, and it was freezing as well. So the first thing you wanted to do after a race was get back inside. Yeah. Get some uh, get some sort of refreshment and Watch some telly, and there was plenty of ways to do that. So it's uh, it's very good sound, and I love it there. Yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely one of the favourites. Uh, so this week we are going to tackle in our deep ground uh, the subject of anti-post betting. It is a topic that gets um, a lot of coverage and can become tongues wagging. It certainly, I mean, and they wag for several months on end. Um, mm. and mm. Uh, it can become a bit all-consuming. So we just thought we would actually see if there is a bit of demystifying to do because there's quite a lot that goes into it. So we're going to talk about anti-post betting. Uh, what is it? Um, where do you see it most prevalent? Uh, how do we go about some, uh, our own anti-post bets, etc., etc.? Uh, then we're bringing back the anti-post angle this week and having looked through basically the majority of Christmas racing last week, we are going to start to cast our minds forward as much as we say that the season is more about more than just the Cheltenham Festival we are going to start to cast our minds forward to that big meeting in March I suppose particularly given we're talking about anti-post betting um, because there is no meeting that garners more anti-post activity than the Cheltenham Festival in March and then of course we'll have our weekend selections at the end and you can crow about not just having a winner but having very very handsome winner but we'll come to that um at the end so should we crack on yes let's talk about anti-post ting so anti-post betting firstly what actually is it Bruins, what is anti-post betting? Yeah, it, um, and maybe we've been guilty of assuming that our listing public are aware of what it is, because we've talked about it a lot. Um, it's basically the act of uh, having a punt before horses are declared, or at post, I suppose, historically, is where the name comes from. Mm. Um, so before the race day itself. Um, I guess that's developed a bit since then, to be before declarations have been made two days before. Um, and particularly on the jumps side of uh, the sport of horse racing, it's become more than a, um, uh, you know, more than a sort of fleeting activity. It's kind of a lot of the sport is now revolved around the anti-post market mm. um, because of the nature of how the jump season is sort of set up with, in theory, Cheltenham being a big finale where all the best horses come um, to have a dance and see who's the best. Um, so really the whole thing starts from at least the end of the last Cheltenham, if not before that, to all the way through to the the week leading up to the the next Cheltenham Festival. There's obviously other races that you can back uh, at or punt at anti-post, um, on the flat as well. It's a big thing with the, with the pedigree side. So you see betting markets posted for things like the 2024 Derby, for example, um, way in advance, based on purely the breeding side. Twenty twenty four Derby. There's a market. Yes, for that, I've seen it? that. I've seen that. Wow, I'm eighteen sure I've seen that listed. months away. Yeah, and some of these horses are barely born. Um, but um, yeah, it is remarkable stuff. Um, so yeah, it's an intriguing one. It's it gets a lot of attention now, particularly when you see a big performance in a race that might be seen as a qualifier or a 
or a stepping stone to a big race at Cheltenham, mm. uh, you will see a lot of discussion around this horse has won well and therefore has been cut for this particular anti-post market at Cheltenham. So there we are. That's a little intro into anti-post betting. We'll come on to anti-post cuts in a minute, I think. Um, we will. So, yeah, lovely. Thank you for that. Uh, succinct summary and uh, I well the all I was going to add to that was the it's the the fun bit about anti-price betting is obviously the ability to take a price that is likely to be shorter come race day and obviously the the the, the longer odds will represent the amount of risk of the horse not even making it to the race course um, and so you're trying to weigh up whether 20 to 1 about a horse um, winning the race, but also actually turning up at the race is fair value. Um, so there's lots of other things to factor in to uh, your decision as opposed to, and also you don't know which horses it will be going up against. So you've got to try and factor all of that in, work out which other horses might be targeted at the same race, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it's really a game of you know trying to get a good price and you know work out whether the amount of risk you're taking on is worthwhile. I wanted to have a look at what uh, anti-post markets existed at the moment. So I had a little look on Odds Checker last night to see how many wow. anti-post markets there actually are. Obviously, you've talked about the big one um, being the Cheltenham Festival and the fact that there will be, I don't think I've seen a 2024 market for the festival on Odds Checker, but uh, it won't be too long before there is one because definitely there not. definitely is betting on the, on the festival more than a year in advance. But apart from Cheltenham, we have over the jumps the Grand National and the Scottish National. Interestingly, oh, oh. I couldn't see anything for the Irish National. Um, Aintree generally doesn't really come about until after Cheltenham, um, so it really is pretty much just the Cheltenham Festival. This is everything, by the way, that is from the first of January onwards. So there's a load of anti-post markets for all the Christmas racing, um, but I was looking for things more than a month in advance. And uh, and there's really not many of the jumps. And then for the flat, uh, as you pointed out, um, it's really the classics. And so mm -hmm. you've got, uh, for those of you that need reminding or didn't know, the classics are the uh, 2,000 and 1,000 guineas at Newmarket in early May, uh, the Oaks and the Derby uh, at Epsom um, in whenever it is. I can't even It's early June, I think. Um, yep. The Ebor, uh, which is the big um, sort of staying handicap on the flat at York at uh, the Ebor meeting in August, and then the St. Ledger, which is the final classic of the season at Doncaster in September. There are some international markets as well, but it's th those are the only markets I could find on Oddschecker. So it's actually, it, aside from Cheltenham, you know, it, I, well, let's rephrase it, Cheltenham really does seem to be... Yeah, I'd imagine if you looked at how much turnover on anti-post betting there is in the calendar year, it, if you took Cheltenham out of it, you'd take a lot of the turnover out of it. Yeah, 100%. And I guess that's one of the good things about the jump side is that you have a bit more, you know, it's not so, uh, uh, what's the word, Tran transcendent in terms of the horses coming and going. Uh, you know, you can see the stepping stones from the novice hurdles into the novice chases into the future kind of uh, open company chases what what horses might might be worth a punt very early on so um and i think that adds to the excitement for me i think that's you know a lot is made of anti-post betting as being something that's maybe talked about too much and not focused on enough the here and now but i i don't know i think it's exciting to have a little go and uh, at what uh, might turn up i've still got a fourfold in play Yes. That I placed in March of last year for the festival, and I'm feeling okay about it, and that's exciting to me, and that's that's got me, you know, a vested interest in those four horses and their journeys between the festival last year, where they all appeared to, were, you know, hopefully reappearing next next years. So um, yeah, I like it. I like the whole area. It provokes a lot of discussion. So. Absolutely. Or may it continue? There are lots of positives to it. Um, so, and I think the you know the, the final word on the anti-post markets and and the ones that exist, it basically appears that that bookmakers will only up, open up anti-post markets where there is likely to be a punting interest, obviously, um, and that is basically in situations where there is enough information to your point about races at which horses might be targeted, whether that's based on form 
whether that's based on pedigree or comments from the trainer or connections or anything else I might have missed you know and that's what doesn't exist on the flat because horses can be targeted at all sorts of different things as we've discussed on the pod before whereas with the jumps it's a lot easier to know or have an opinion at least an informed opinion which is obviously what betting is all about on um, where a horse might end up and its chances of winning that given race so before we go into how we approach it and maybe sharing a couple of the nicer and maybe failed anti-post tickets that we have <laughs> oh, yes. for this season ahead. Um, let's just touch on on why it's so popular. Um, I mean, I, I had a couple of thoughts. Maybe I'll, I'll kick off with this. You know, I mean, surely the growth of anti-post betting has come from the advent of online gambling. I'm sure there was plenty of it when people were walking into shops but it's so easy now to just flick open odds checker i mean i hate to think how many times i open that web page in a in a day even at this stage of the season um and sometimes it's just to check whether you know the price of a horse that i've already backed is the same even though i know of course it will be um but fundamentally everybody for me anyway is looking for two things they're looking for value and they're looking for enjoyment and you've kind of touched on it just then with that fourfold like it's you know I've always found it hard to get excited you know about the big horses going into Cheltenham from a betting perspective you know when you haven't backed them early in the season you know you're not going to have big winners at short prices you know obviously however where the joy the enjoyment and the value i.e getting some, some, some a decent return on your on your investment really comes is when you've taken a position earlier in the season and with that then you are watching and enjoying them winning their races even if it's John Bon at one to two on or whatever last weekend because you know you're you're on them at a nice price for a bigger target and actually I think it's a really nice way of doing it and you know by virtue of betting on a horse where there you think there is perceived value the stake you've invested is probably not that high but the return you're getting in terms of the potential winnings and the enjoyment of watching them through the season mm. is massive. So for me, I think it's though it's value and enjoyment that are the two real drivers behind why people get it. Or certainly that's why I get involved. Yeah, in post I know. I think you've I think you've nailed it. It's a bit like having a punt on a um, team um, at the start of a cup run. Yeah, maybe or watching your own team, you know, start to take on the uh, you know the FA Cup and go on a bit of a run, even if you're a big team it's still exciting to progress through those rounds and mm. then hopefully get to the the big stage at the end of it in may in football terms and march in, in racing terms and see your see your team or your horse line up with a chance of you know you, you sort of get you become a supporter of that horse yeah. in a way rather than just a supporter of your bet um yeah so it's um so i think that's that's what's nice about it um and i don't I'd, I'd be amazed if huge sums of money were won you know in terms of all the all the money that's that's won in the in betting markets in general in racing i'd be, i'd be amazed if it's a huge proportion of that coming from the anti post market i don't know because mm. be good to find out if bookies are worried about that and maybe they are worried about that given their their behavior nowadays to yeah. um the anti post market but i think they're aware that it's super popular and it's becoming even more so because you've also got the whole kind of media market around anti-posting so you're up in the anti-show oh, from the racing post yeah there's 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 many shows of that variety uh now which um again all add to the the buzz uh around that kind of long-term view so no i think you've nailed it with those two areas for me yeah. as well yeah and, and i think you know it, it, i was thinking about this too I, I mean i think unless you're a professional gambler <clears throat> it's all about the price you're on at, the value you've taken, not the sum you win. Yeah, and this is something that I, you know, I've thought about a lot. You know, personally, my temptation was, you know, in in the last couple of years, was, oh, shall I increase my one point stake? You know, so when you, you know, generally in betting, you have uh, a one point stake, which is, you know, a way of basically, whether we talked about it in the pod before, a way of, of gauging your confidence in a bet and obviously we employ that system on our weekend selections so if you really like a horse you might go two points win if you're not so sure you might go half point each way so I thought well you know shall I increase my one point stake you know now because I track it and I know then you know in theory if I'm in the black already on my one point stake as it is I can increase it and win more money 
And I thought about it and I thought, actually, that's not really what it's about. Um, mm. for, for, again, for, for me anyway. So, you know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, if, if you bet one pound as your one point stake or a thousand pounds, a 33 to one anti-post winner is all relative and it's winning your money back at a multiple of 33. That is where the satisfaction comes from rather than, um, the amount and you see a lot of stuff on Twitter with people putting up their anti-post selections and the price they're on at, and I think that's then they show what they might win and I always think I'm not sure mm. I would want to do that because I, I, I don't know how people would th- either think it, that's pathetic you should have bet more or they'll think oh look at you showing off look at how much you yeah. bet I don't know which way people would view it but I don't really think it's about that it's if you've you know I would uh, I often feel a little bit uncomfortable looking at that yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, for me it's slightly crass and like you say, besides the point for us anyway of what, what the uh, um, enjoyment of it is about. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Do you feel that it is in any way contributing to the mad Cheltenham hype we know we talk about and then racing talks about um, the fact that there is a sort of, a, a you know, too big a focus on the Cheltenham Festival? Do you think anti-post betting contributes to that? Pro- probably, um, but I don't think it's the cause of the Cheltenham hype. I think that's more to do with how the season is sort of set up and the calendar's set up. I think that's mm. that's that's what, and that then drives the hype. And I don't mind there being hype around a big sort of finale meeting in any sort of season. It works in it works in every other sport, doesn't it? Everyone's mm. kind of trying to be relevant come the end of the season in terms of winning mm. big pots, big trophies and obviously big prize money. So I think that that all kind of makes sense. Um, does the anti-post market add add further hype, maybe unnecessary hype to that? Maybe. Um, it starts to get a bit silly when you see the value squeezed a bit mm. because of you know knee-jerk reactions to a horse's performance, that's when it starts to bother me because actually the whole point of anti-post betting, which you highlighted, is around getting value. Yeah. Um, and if that starts to disappear because of these wild kind of reactions from bookies to certain performances, then um, takes takes the fun out of it, to be honest. So let's talk about that briefly because that's something that seems to be coming up a lot at the moment, that the fact that bookmakers are cutting horses, yeah. so, so shortening their price after for, for given anti-post markets uh let's say you know primarily for Cheltenham after they've come out and won a race and maybe maybe won a race that it was pretty winnable let's say that yes I know you feel quite strongly about this well the example I've got in mind is I'm going to mention it as much as I can in this episode is uh, <laughs> Noble Yates winning the many clouds chase last street <laughs> entry at price of six to one um last weekend one, selection one we hope win. you were all on one point win um he and it was impressive visually um did he beat horses that are going to be gold cup contenders i don't think so but as a result of that he was cut from a 66 to 1 shot for the gold cup into biggest price 12 to 1 he's currently the fifth joint favorite for um the premier um, you know staying chase race in in the world and that's such a shame that that you can't think, oh, no, Yates has had a good performance there. I'm going to back it. And as soon as you get on there to have a look, it's the value's really gone already, to be honest. There's no there's no indication that the horse is actually going to go to the Gold Cup um, from, from what I've read. So mm. that seems to be a trend now. And I don't know if that's bookies trying to cover themselves or trying to kind of get on the hype and say, look at us, we've slashed this brilliant horse because mm. um, mm. it, it's, you know, what a performance that was. So it's now into uh, single-figure odds. Uh, does that, are they trying to generate some of the hype for themselves? I don't know. I just don't like the result of, of where we've got to with that. So there's quite a bit of that going on. I guess we've seen similar with Fasal Vega coming out, winning a, a very low standard race really a maiden hurdle yeah. very easily um and and very well uh, but now is shortened up even more for the supreme market so based on based on very little to be honest apart from just knowing that they're alive and well um so that's a that's leaving a little bit of a sour taste for me how about you yeah. is that not similar um i suppose yes the days of being able to watch a performance weigh it up in your own mind and then get on at a, at a at a decent whatever decent means price have probably come and gone now you you have to back horses before they run um and 
uh, so therefore you are going more on potential. Would you have? Would anybody have backed Noble Yates at sixty six to one? Would anybody have backed Constitution Hill for the Supreme last year at thirty three to one? You know, plenty of people did. Um, the latter, anyway. Uh, I know Ruby Wells should come out and say that Noble Yates was his outsider. Well, well, I think he said would have a chance in a Gold Cup. I don't know this specific verbatim, but so the information is out there. I think I don't know that I feel that bad about it because I think if you're going to get good prices, you've got to work for it. Nothing in life comes, you know, th yeah, that's that, true. that easily. But equally, we've all got lives to lead. You know, I mean. <laughs> uh, you want punters to be interested in this stuff. Uh, I suppose I think that maybe 66 to 1 was quite generous about Noble Yates. And if I'd been thinking about the Gold Cup market, if we'd done this anti post angle a week ago that yeah, we we're going to do after this, then perhaps, you know, you and my, you and I might have had £2.50 each way or something. Cause, yeah. um, well, the name came up last week just because we were looking at the King George, I think, briefly. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah so. I don't know. I don't. Know. Yeah, I, but I totally take your point. Then I, I think where it gets really stupid, and we'll come on to it in a sec. Actually, is is where things get shortened, like Fasal Vega. That really is stupid because I mean, we've just shown us that he's alive and he can jump a hurdle. And I think you have to deduce from the fact that he's one of the best horses that Willie Mullins has apparently trained. Uh, Willie Mullins obviously loves the horse that he would be able to jump a hurdle. So uh, him being cut for the Supreme from an already short price was was pretty stupid. But um, yeah. There you go. So let's quickly, before we wrap up, how how do you approach anti-post betting greens? What's your strategy to finding a horse that you feel comfortable enough to back, if indeed there is a strategy? I don't think there's a strategy. Um, oh, it's pretty it's pretty casual. Uh, we were saying that we got into a good rhythm, didn't we, last year of having weekly anti-post calls, mm. uh, which kind of spawned the pod maybe. A little mm. bit um, where we were looking at, you know, day by day of the Cheltenham Festival and and trying to sort of whittle it down, which I think is the fun part, right? Is when you can see this sort of list of horses that have been priced up and think, right, that's not going to go there because it's probably more likely to go to that race, or um, that's put in a bad performance, so it's probably going to come out, or there's an injury concern. So you, so all that stuff is is. Um, is really interesting. I think that's the strategy. Really, is actually getting into it. Um, I guess there's also the angle of, you know, the one anti-post selection that I've got at the moment, and it's only one. Yeah, my little fourfold uh, was just coming out of last year's festival, thinking right. It's very clear how some of these horses are going to hopefully develop or what they're going to be targeted at. So why not just put something together for very little investment up front that could return um, something, you know not life-changing, but certainly something quite um, significant if it all comes in and you can follow it throughout the season. So that's that's my approach. I wouldn't call it a strategy in any way. I know you have got much more involved approach to um, anti-posting. Uh, yeah, I, well, I do. quite the book now. I do, I do, and I have for two or th maybe two, certainly two, yeah, probably this is probably the third year I've been really getting a bit more stuck in. And... I think maybe last year I had 30 anti-post bets, something like that, <laughs> which sounds a lot. But, you know, if you've got one 20 to one winner, then you then you can have 20 losers, you know, and that so, and if you have two 20 to one winners, then you're likely to make a profit. So, you know, when you think about it like that, um, you know, as, assuming that there is some strategy to it, which I like to think there is a little bit, then, you know, it's it, that sounds a lot. But actually, that's sort of the game you're playing in this in, in this world. Um, I think that you know my my gut feel is the biggest price cuts, albeit we've just talked about one in the Gold Cup um, with Noble Yates, come in the novice races because there are there are more unknowns here, and so one good performance can generate a lot of hype because of the potential, and people love potential in any betting market, but I think particularly anti post markets. So I think for that reason, I like to bet anti post in the novice races, novice hurdles, novice chases, I guess bumpers as well. Um, because you know, and and tr and try and go on as much information as I can find. Um, you know, I by so there's a 
chap called Mark Howard who writes a book called One Jump Ahead, which was recommended to me by a friend, which I bought this year. And it you know, gives his top 40 prospects. And there's all sorts of people out there, racing people who write similar things. And, you know, so you find something. And my interest in anti-post betting really came from that show you mentioned, the Racing Post up in the anti-show, which gets a lot of stick. But getting people excited about the festival getting people into racing getting people thinking about what's going on each week it certainly worked for me um and you know i I basically backed every gavin lynch tip which actually didn't work out particularly well but you know he made very good cases for the horses and, and then over time i started to go okay well maybe i'm gonna start to make my own judgments well you know now that perhaps i know a little bit more about how to approach anti-post betting um so yeah, I mean, I think you know I I love the novice markets because of the potential for backing superstars at massive prices. You know, you can often get horses that are twenty to one plus early season. You know, maybe even before they've run. But you know, I think ultimately the thing I've noticed with anti-post betting is how easy it is to get swept up in what other people say about horses. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to listen to that and take it on board. But as we've talked about before. You know, with our when we talked about our punting approaches the other week, it's about having your own opinion. And I think if you've got it's about being able to differentiate between horses where you've been swept up in other people's excitement, and when you actually have a strong opinion yourself about the horse. And you know, if you can make that differentiation, then that's when you can make a decision on whether you think a horse is value. So let's take Lossy Mouth for example. She won very handsomely last weekend. She's now four to one for the Triumph after just one run in the UK. Obviously, we've talked about her on the pod before. Is that value now? Well, no, I don't think it is. But based on her potential, which was highlighted to me by comments from her owner and commentators on the sport, you know, people that I trust, whose opinion I trust. Uh, I was very happy to take 16 to 1 at the start of the season about a horse that had never raced in the UK before. That's the risk you take. I've always, you know, so I'm feeling pretty happy now. Um, you know, and I think maybe Force 1 isn't valued, but, I, you know, I, I still think that she is, you know, deserves to be at the head of the betting. That was a very impressive performance beating um, uh, the other Willie Mullins horse that had already Sorry, come brave. That's yeah. it. They'd come out and won handsomely and very impressively by 10 lengths plus previously. Uh, <clears throat> The flip side is I've also backed a cow for that same race, who's now a bigger price because he was disappointing on his debut. So, you know, it, it sort of goes both ways, but that's the risk you take. You know, for every lossy mouth at 16 to 1, there's going to be many more where you're sitting there going, well, that one probably isn't going to, you know, mm-hmm. isn't going to come in. Um, yes, yeah, so you need to be prepared to, you know, lose more than you, than you gain in the anti post world, right? Definitely. And the last mm-hmm. thing that, that, you know, we've talked about a little bit. Uh, on a previous episode that it's and this is a you know a couple of friends of mine do this and, and can have a lot of fun with it backing horses for Cheltenham in the double with something in the short term mm-hmm. to boost the price um you know so you know I, I backed El Fabiolo for the Arkle um in a double with I know the way you're thinking who was my nap um two weeks ago mm-hmm. um and he, you know, El Fabiolo is five to one for the Arkle, and I've got him at eighteen to one now. The risk is obviously that bet could have been dead in the water, you know, <laughs> immediately. And again, I've had bets like that already this season, but I'm now on a horse in El Fabiolo who I really like, uh, an exciting price, and I can cheer him on for the rest of the season. So uh, that works well, you know, if you've got a lot of bookmakers offer free bets, so take advantage of the free bets and you know do things like that. If you lose the bet, it doesn't matter. But if you get one or two that get you to the festival at twenty to one on a horse that goes off two to one, um, then yeah, it's good pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's. Let's move on now to have a little look at the uh, well the return to the anti-post angle, um, and we were discussing this the other day. What race should we talk about? And given that this is the first time we're going to look at the Cheltenham Festival itself, Bruins, you were quite keen to focus in on the Blue Ribbon event. So we're going to look at the Cheltenham Gold Cup. What is a Blue Ribbon? Can somebody show me one? Well, it's a biscuit, isn't it? Does anyone have a Blue Ribbon biscuit? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem like much of a prize for the best race in, <laughs> in Cheltenham's racing. Bloody <laughs> biscuit. Maybe, maybe the horses love it. Um, yes, I wanted to do the Gold Cup given the the deep ground we've done, and actually, uh, and the position of the season we're in, where 
you know, the Gold Cup is always relatively clear in terms of the, you know, the likely runners from at least a year out because you know what's run well in it before and is of the age profile to continue and you know what's coming through the ranks from the um, the novice divisions as well. So it's quite clear, but we started looking at it, didn't we, this week and thought, actually, this is a really interesting market this year. Quite often you get a real shorty. Um, album photo springs to mind in recent years, obviously won it twice on the bounce. But we, uh, and we've got a reappearing winner here in Aplutard who won incredibly well last year. But there's sort of question marks about the entire set here from from what, I, what I've gathered anyway, or what I think, uh, which makes it an intriguing prospect to talk about. So how, how would you... What's your general feeling on the Gold Cup? What should, if you were going about trying to find the most likely winner at this stage, potentially with a view to having an anti-post bet, let's say? Yeah. What would you? What sort of horse do you think is needed to win? And, and what do you look for? What would you look for in this race? Yeah, I guess. Well, let's talk value-wise firstly, because on the day, even you're still going to get. If you're very unlikely to get an odds-on horse. Odds on favourite in the Gold Cup. So I don't, don't think we've seen one since we've been watching the no. sport for the last ten years, have we? Yeah. So my approach would definitely be don't get drawn into the shorties at this stage of the season. So you've got Galapan de Champ, for example, at the head of the market, who we've yet to see this season at five to two. I don't think he could possibly go off much shorter than that on the day because it is. Um, it maybe he would depends on how the rest of the field pans out, but. Um, but that's not an anti-post price for me. So mm. my approach is looking further down at the big prices. In terms of a horse's profile for this race, I guess it's becoming more and more one where horses are really laid out for this and will maybe have one run or two runs max in preparation for this in the same season. So for the likely candidates, maybe we've not even seen them yet, such as in the case of Gallup and Deschamps. Or we've only seen them once already. So you've got that to go on. Um, yep. Do you worry and, about ground? Uh, a little bit. I think you know come March you're going to get at least good to soft. I think Cheltenham are quite good at delivering that um, uh, during that festival week. Obviously it could come up softer depending on the amount of rain you get. Um, but um, not a huge amount. I think what I worry about more... Or I'm interested about more is the the pace angle of a Gold Cup. It gets talked about more and more, and it came to the fore really last year where they went at quite a slow play, a slow pace. I think in comparison to a lot of previous Gold Cups where they really go like the clappers, mm. and then something comes through to win. Whereas last season's race, based on the sectionals, showed that a, a very slowly run race and then basically a sprint up the hill, which Aplutard excelled in. And he, you know, being a former Grade One winner over two miles, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as we discussed last week. So, um, so that, in hindsight, became clear that he was probably a good bet if you could predict the pace angle, which I think a lot of people had pointed to the fact that it might be slowly run. So my tip, my punt last year was Galvin, who needs a strongly run race for him to come through and win, and in the end, he came sort of a stay on fourth, um, but um, did not have that turn of foot to to deal with Aplutard and nobody did and it won by 15 lengths which is a sort of margin you've not seen in uh, yeah. in, in my time watching racing for a Gold Cup so that is worth considering which is hard to do three months out or two and a half months out um, but um, but I would focus on that and know you know what's the, what's likely going to go out in front and, and set the pace and if there's not really much pace then think about speed horses uh, or horses that can stay but also have that ten of foot. Yeah. So that'd be my consideration for this race going nice. into next next year. Yeah. Well I would just throw into the mix there that, you know, when you're going through races and this goes for any race really anti post, I, I would, you know, have a look at horses you could take out of the list before you oh, start yeah. worrying about who to back. And, you know, Brave Man's game's in at twenty five to one, take him out because we know Nichols won't send him to Cheltenham. Very unlikely, anyway. Um, Bob Ollinger, I'd be stunned to see him go here. He's thirty-three to one. It's just ridiculous. Get rid of him. Shishkin, thirty-three to one. People have talked about. You know, I read something about him going for the Gold Cup. Well, if he does, I'm happy to let him turn up. I, I don't be think amazed he if he goes this year. Mind yeah, he, is, he will be nine. So it's kind of also now or never. But I'd be amazed off the back of a 
pulled up at Cheltenham last March and third in a Tingle Creek. They'd coach I think if he was cup. going into it having been good and they'd gone, right, now we're going to go big, you know, like like sort of with Corto Star back in the day, winning Tingle Creeks and stepping up. But off the back of that, yeah, I totally agree. Um uh, so anyway, so and, and then and then once you've done that a little bit, that takes you out down to sort of forty, fifty to one, and and you know outsiders, monkfish is in there. Monkfish is almost certainly not going to go to Cheltenham this year. Um, you know you've got Champ in there at sixty six to one. <laughs> so <laughs> you can have you can you can you can whittle it down by doing that a little bit as well. So is there one that you or are there a few that you like? Have you got a little short list? Yeah, stage? I do. There's a, there's probably three that interest me at you know double figure prices um the first the shortest of which is statler who won the national hunt chase and we've talked or certainly i've said a few times on this pod that that race is a stepping stone to bigger things that national hunt chase and obviously shows you can stay well jump well um and you can handle it around cheltenham and statler and and it's an indicative of you know classier horses who might well go on to bigger things so i think statler fits that um kind of profile of a horse that could go um really well in a strongly run gold cup potentially um i think he's due to reappear this weekend um at cork if i'm if i'm or no sorry he was due to reappear in the john durkin um which maybe is at risk of not happening Um, so that will tell us a lot about where he is, but I think Connections, uh, who also own Galvin, um, would be keen to see Stutler as their Gold Cup horse from what I've seen, so he's interesting, about 16 to 1 I can see here. Yep. Uh, bigger price is Farouk Dalen. Yeah. Interests me, 25 to 1 um, with Labrooks was in the course of potentially winning the Brown Advisory Novices Chase, Ooh. the three-mile Novices Chase last year on that wet Wednesday. Um, two legs said, down and going easily when yeah, fell two out. He was going easily. He was he was travelling very very nicely and fell. Not seen since. Prior to that, he's you know he's got plenty of good form um, in there, particularly over three miles, three miles plus. Um, he was actually beaten by Statler in a novice chase uh, last January. So there's there's two there kind of linked in, and maybe Frat Delen is one. Who will be who's seven going on eight might be improvement to come. I'm I'm an old romantic, so Hewick remains very much in the mix for me. I <laughs> that's mean, the story, isn't it? That's the story, and I think he will show up just purely for the story. And Shark Hanlon is all about the story, isn't he? So I'm I you know all being well, he shows up. He's twenty five to one. He's not. He's I mean he's as much as there's a story. He's a quality horse. His ratings are pretty high now. I think he's rated one six seven over jumps so you know that's still sort of a good 10 15 pounds behind Applutard but just for the story he's on the radar outside of that I don't see huge amount of value but those are those are the three that stick out nice yeah um Farrick Delenn is a horse that uh, so Jerry Colom reminds me of um Jerry Colom's a horse that I'm I'm getting closer and closer to really liking for the three mile novice chase at Cheltenham the Brown Advisory. Uh like soft ground, will definitely stay. Um and uh so yeah, uh, I, I I think Farouk Delen would probably need uh probably at least soft ground, I would think, to be seen at his best based on his yeah. form. But yeah, he's um yeah, it definitely has a prof- the profile of a horse that, you know, if he was there two out and ground was fairly testing and he was still going all right. Yeah, it would have been good to see what would have happened if he'd not fallen two out. I definitely agree. I remember watching that thinking, oh, what's this Jigginstown thing swinging yeah. around the home turn? I have, I mean, it's Galapin de Champ could be a freak. and you're You're invested already? I'm invested through the medium of multiples, yes. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, he's been four to one um, since he fell at the last in yeah. the uh, in the Turners last year. So um, he could be a freak. I mean, the, the the I went back and watched his three mile. The first time he ran over three miles, his his Grade One novice hurdle win at the Punchestown Festival in April last year. That was pretty impressive. The way he just moved clear of everything, and nothing was getting closer to him. He was a twelve-length winner. Um, nothing was getting closer to him at the line. It was the it was his chase debut over Christmas at Leopardstown last year when you thought, "Wow, 
this is a horse that is jumping fences like he's been doing it all his life. Uh, he's 22 length winner, eased down, Paul Townend couldn't pull him up. Um, and to a large extent, he backed that up in a grade one at Leperstown at the Dublin Racing Festival over the over the same distance in February. And obviously would have absolutely hammered Bob Ollinger at Cheltenham had he not fallen at the last. Um I find it very difficult to pick a hole in him at this point, mm. other than he's not run in a grade one chase over three miles uh, against the very, very best in open company. And that's what he's going to have to do sooner rather than later. We'll find out if he's as good as, as you know, it looks like he could be. But I'm very much in the camp that uh, he could be, and I kind of want him to be that good. And I'm not—that's not my pocket speaking. I just—I kind of want to see a horse that good, because this is a good Gold Cup field, I think. Um, and if he could beat, you know, if the the main protagonist in this turn up, and if he could beat them well, then um, yeah, we might yeah. have the next sort of Corto star on our hands or whatever. I—I I, I think Long Press has got a great chance. Yeah. I think he he ran his best RPR on good to soft ground at Newcastle when he lumped that massive weight very impressively on seasonal reappearance to victory um, at the end of last month. So that just sort of proved that he doesn't need it to be soft, which was perhaps what I thought about him beforehand. Um, and therefore taking, you know, what is he, sort of 8-1, to 7-1, to 7-1 to one best price I can see here about him given that there is that sort of um, less reliance on softer ground, you know, probably makes a bit of sense. I do like Protector Act's chances. I think he probably does want it to be softer, probably more so than Long Press. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if it was to be soft, he ran a very good race at his first stab last year as a seven-year-old. He's going to have another go this year, and we've seen horses give it a good run and then come back and do even better. That there is um, there is one that I that I liked at a bit of a price, and again we're looking at sort of grounds uh, dependence here. But I I think we haven't seen the best of Capadano. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Willie Mullins is basically I'm just paraphrasing him, but he he thinks this could turn into a Gold Cup horse. Capadano is the opposite to Protector in that he is going to need better grounds. Um, and uh, but I think if he, you know, it will be really interesting to see. You know, Capitano is available at, at uh, anywhere between fourteen and twenty-five to one at the moment. Um, but he's, you know, Grade One winner uh, over three miles over fences, albeit it was at the, the Punchestown Festival. So there's always a bit of a pinch of salt when a horse wins a Grade One there. But uh, so you want to see him, you know, come out and do something this year. But he's been running in good races. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the fact that he was fourth, twelve length fourth behind Long Press last year on soft ground, which definitely wouldn't have been to his liking. Um, yeah, he was the one. He he's sort of my Statler, if you want. Um, mm. But I think William Mullins has definitely got a good. He's got a good fistful of horses for this. Yeah, he's he's in a good spot, and it's probably a year too soon before the Elliot kind of big spends come through to this race. So we'll see how they get on. So yeah, I think this is potentially his year once again. God, yeah, Mighty Potter, Three Stripe Life. He, you know, if, yeah. if they end up being what they might be, then yeah, next year could be the uh, Elliot procession. Yeah. <laughs> what news of Monkfish? I see him priced up here, but I'm pretty sure I saw that he was um, like unlikely to make come back this season. Yeah, I think it was unlikely to be back in time for Cheltenham. Yeah. If if Willie can get him back, then great. But don't expect that, and you know, that yeah, usually means he yeah, exactly, uh, which is a great shame. You wonder whether we'll ever see the best of Monkfish, um, mm-hmm. given the amount of six. It will be six hundred eighty nine days if he, if he doesn't if he runs at the festival and that's his first run back. It will be six hundred eighty nine days um, since his last run, which I think was when he was. That's it. Beaten by Cole Reavy at the Punchestown yes. Festival, the Brood Mare. Indeed. Um, good stuff. All right, so just remind listeners of your well, shortlist of three. Yeah, I mean, the shortlist was um, Statler, Farouk Delen, and Hewick for, a, you know, an emotional one. I would not be surprised if Aplutard does what he does at Cheltenham and runs a very strong race, and maybe at 6-1 to one even now, that's quite a good price. But obviously coming back off a, 
uh, underwhelming return at Haydock. There'd have to be concerns. But I'd put, you know, if I'm doing one from the top and one from the pack, I will go Aplutard from the top and Farouk Dalen. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I mean, you've made a, you've made a, a solid case, and I think if the ground <laughs> came up old. soft. If the ground came up soft, then uh, I mean he's a he's a horse they've always liked. Well, I I would say what one from the top. Let's let's uh, let, aside from the obvious, which is yeah. Galapand Uh I think the fact that Lon Press has proven that he's a little bit more ground versatile than perhaps I'd realised. Um, I think he has to have a chance, and I do love the story of him being bought from France as a bit of a no hoper. The chap who who owns the horse, I think I heard him on the Nick Luck podcast months ago talking about this. That's sort of what he does, and he's he's gone and found this horse that was going nowhere in France and is now, you know, second favourite at the stage for the Gold Cup. Um, so that would be, you know, a, a lovely story, and I think he, he deserves his place in the market after very impressive. Nice to see a horse win off a big weight in a, ha- a top weight in a handicap. Um, uh, you know, nice to see one of these grade one horses do that. Uh, so I would say... Him over Protectorat because of the at uh, this stage because I, I'd be happy with Lon Press on good to soft or soft, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, uh, you know Capadano you know carries with it the risk that if it's soft he's probably either not going to run or not run to his best. But um, yeah, probably those Gallop under Champ, Lon Press and Capadano for me. I'm sure there'll be a Gold Cup winner in that lot. We've named half the field. <laughs> and if there is, then we will shout about it. Come, of course we will. March yeah, we'll the eighteenth. Clip that up and repost it on all the socials. Right, let's move ahead and look at the short term uh, and finish the episode with our weekend selections. Um, yeah, let's. But firstly, many congratulations, Bruins. We mentioned it at the top of the show. You've mentioned him already. Uh, you backed Noble Yates at six to one last week, and was very impressive, wasn't he? Go on, give us a quick summary of of that. Well, he looked like he was under quite a bit of pressure, maybe two out, and then suddenly, uh, and I'm I'm uh, stealing this from Ruby Walsh. He sprouted wings uh, between the the second last and the last, um, and maybe there was a little bit of um, Dashwell Drasher and Ahoy Senor cutting each other's throats as they say in that mm-hmm. very crass um, hmm. horse racing analogy uh, out front which made that burst of pace look even more impressive but um, I thought yeah I just thought before he was a silly price really uh, and the manner of the victory kind of added to it as well because he just absolutely zoomed up the home straight um, got out in front pinged pinged the last fence and he's a very good jumper so um, you, you know that if he can hang on in there he's going to be there or thereabouts uh, with that turn of foot, which he showed at Aintree, obviously last April as well mm. on the on the Grand National course, so very interesting. I just like the story there that it's a Grand National horse that's going places rather than on the way down after winning a Grand National. So let's see where where he goes next. Yeah, indeed, that was very nice indeed. So um, let's move on then to uh, who you like this week. Let's see if yeah, you can okay. go back to back. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully racing goes ahead. There's inspections this morning, um, but I am going to pick one out at Cheltenham in tomorrow's two and a half mile Gold Cup handicap chase. Um, the follow up to the Paddy Power, uh, obviously last month, won by Garlaw. Uh, and I'm going to go for one who's who ran in that um, and came fifth, and he's a, still a big price here, and it's Day Rand Karjak mm. for Alan King, um, who seems to be off a very very workable mark. He was actually dropped a couple of pounds for that fifth place, which was not a bad um, fifth place finish at all. Uh, I just think there's maybe more. Um, oh, sorry, the the class is not as high in this edition versus the November meeting. Um, version. So I like him. He's about 12, 14 to 1 at the moment. Um, you're probably going to get minimum four places. I'm sure there'll be some firms that offer five if um, if they all stand come race day. Uh, so it's day rang the car up for me to come back to Cheltenham, where he's always run pretty well in these, um, in these big handicap chases uh, to maybe outrun his odds and nick a place. I don't know if he'd win it. 
but at 12, 14 to 1, I'm willing to have a nibble to find out. Fantastic. There you go. Half a, nice. point. Half a point each way. Half a point each way. I like that. You've banged one in from 20 yards last yeah, week. So now you're safe. just going to... Yeah, very good. Spend, gonna... spend, the, spend the money. Yeah. Hang around the six-yard box and see if you can just <laughs> tap one in. Yeah, very nice. Um, good man. Well, I have got plenty in the tracker. I will just... I will, I'll say a very quick word for the, the first race tomorrow at Cheltenham. This is the best edition of the Triumph Trial um, juvenile hurdle that, I've, that I couldn't remember. Um, at this stage of the season, we've got three at the top of the market, and I'm finding it hard to split them. Nuzrit for Joseph O'Brien, who's obviously uh, knows a thing or two about sending a good horse over um, to run at Cheltenham, um, you know, earlier in the season. Um, Scriptwriter, who won last time for Milton Harris, and Perseus Way for Gary Moore, who was big eye catcher in the the uh, Triumph trial won by scriptwriter last month and then bolted up at Leicester in a race he should have bolted up in since so yeah I, I wanted to pick I, I thought at one point I was going to pick from that but uh, I'm not going to try and split between those three but that looks a great race um, so just wanted to flag that up but I am going to go I'm getting I'm, I'm feeling very punchy at the moment about some of these I'm going to go for another two-point win bet this week uh, mm. and I'm going to do so in the three o'clock at Cheltenham, the Albert Bartlett Novices Hurdle, in which Blazing Carl bolted up last year. This is a horse, uh, this is a race rather, that can, can throw up a good horse and a staying horse. And Nigel Twiston Davis has got a future Gold Cup horse here, he thinks, in We've All Been Caught, who won um, a point to point, won a bumper in March, um, uh, you know, over a trip that is was certainly going to be too short for a, for a horse like we've all been caught, and was then the big eye-catcher behind Hermes LN, finishing really strongly over two miles five at Cheltenham last month. Um, Nigel Twiston-Davis has got, I think, the second best strike rate at this meeting of any trainer. I think I saw in the Racing Post today, it's something like 19%. Um, he's six to four, uh, but I think that if he is going to be the horse that they think he could be, then stepped up to three miles is where we're going to start to see the best of him. So it's a two-point win for me on We've All Been Caught for Nigel Twiston Davis, ridden by Sam uh, at three o'clock, the Albert Bartlett Novices Hurdle on Saturday. Yeah, very nice. Very nice indeed. That's one that's been popping off in the tracker as well. So good luck to him. All right. Well, and actually, I will just say that uh, wrapping up on the weekend selections, you are now plus one pound for the season. So you are the first of us to actually yes. get into the black. And after West Balboa was beaten by a length and my double didn't come in, I'm back down to minus three pound eighty five. So uh, I've got some catching up to do. Excellent. Good. So enjoy well, that competitive. while it lasts. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it won't <laughs> last very long. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Talking Horses podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, please do rate and review across whatever platform you access the pod. Uh, make sure to follow Talking Horses podcast, all one word, on Instagram and the underscore TH underscore podcast on Twitter for regular news about the show, our weekend selections, other news and updates, etc., etc. Enjoy the racing this weekend. Let's all keep all of our appendages crossed that it goes ahead. Gamble responsibly. We'll see you all next week.